Welcome back to Navigating Motherhood. I'm so excited that I have a guest named Heidi Saylor with me. Heidi, say hey. Hey. She is going to talk a little bit about her infertility journey and kind of just everything she went through. Um, so we're so excited to hear her share this very like intimate, personal story. Um, so yeah, Heidi, I know Heidi from the Y. Um, she, we, well, technically I work there, but not very often as far as the child care. Um, but she watches Ellie and then all of our mom friends in there. She watches all our kids so we can have some time to ourselves and our kids just love her. And so, um, she started listening to our podcasts and then she was sharing a little bit of her story with me. And so I was like, oh my gosh, stop. Let's just do a podcast so you can share with everybody. Um, and that takes a special kind of person because this is like a touchy like subject for a lot of people because it's hard, you know? Um, but anyway, Heidi, why don't you just start off with a little bit about yourself? Like, yeah, just start off. Tell us okay. about yourself. Perfect. All right. Well, as she said, I am Heidi. I currently work at the Y. Um, it's more of like a hobby just to get away from like being a stay-at-home mom because it's important to get out. And even though I'm watching children, I am still interacting with all their mothers, which is great. So that's been amazing. Yes. But um, a little backstory about me. Like Hattie said, I had told her some of my story. Um, I am almost 32 now, and I have struggled for with infertility. Um, pretty much, I knew I was going to struggle with it for my whole life. Unfortunately, I had um, a cyst when I was like 13 that had ruptured, causing lots of pain, sent me to the ER with my mom. And after that, they pretty much told me then, you have PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and you will have an extremely hard time with anything related to like the working of the female body. So um, I pretty much knew then that meant I was probably not going to have my own children then anyways. But on top of that, though, um, just every month is a struggle because your hormones are just crazy out of whack. Um, when it is the time of the month, when it comes around, because it's inconsistent, it's extremely hard. Um, you basically feel like you are in the early stages of pregnancy because you will have like the nausea, the throwing up, um, extreme headaches, fatigue, like you name it. So yeah, um, I am so excited to be sharing my story with you. So today we're just going to talk about my infertility journey and all that I have learned and hopefully you will learn something too. So, Literally yeah. 13. Yeah, I was, you said? yeah, I was very, very young when I oh. found out that I had PCOS, which now that I'm an adult, like I realize like all the fertility specialists that I've seen, they're like, I cannot believe that they told you that that young. Um, and on top of that, because even now there's not enough studies on PCOS and how to treat it other than just like treating the symptoms, there is not a cure for it at all. Um, back then it was even worse. And they would just be like, here's some birth control. So when I was like 14, I was put on birth control to control my symptoms. But in actuality, as an adult, I found out that, that probably actually harmed my bar body more than do it any good at that point. It was so just yeah. a Band-Aid. It didn't hit the root of the issue. Yeah. And it really honestly, like at the time, wasn't even doing anything other than making me not have cycles like I was not I mean like you got to remember like when you're like that age like I had just started when I was like 13 so mm -hmm. when I'm 14 now I'm put on birth control when I'm not active at all and it's just making it so I don't have cycles so my body never really got its own rhythm at all like I never even had a chance so yeah. so I was just and like, your poor mom like just trying to do what's best for you yeah I I definitely think that she could have been better educated, but my mom is just one of those people that trust doctors very blindly. Like, you know, if they tell you like, oh, your kid needs this shot or this will happen, like she's like, okay, let's do it. Which, you know, a lot of people are, but I feel like as I've gotten older now that especially because I've seen so many like specialists for my fertility, I'm just like, no, you have to do your own research. You cannot yeah. just trust blindly because every doctor is different. You know, depending on when they graduated, there's new information out there. Like, you really have to do your research. Yeah. Amen, so, sister. So, I, um, when I started my actual journey of infertility, um, 
my husband and I, a little backstory on us. We have been together since we were, since I was 14. Um, oh my gosh. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't know that. Um, I so, didn't know that. Yes. So we got together when I was 14. Um, I was not technically allowed to date until I was 16. So he did have to come to my house and like court me. Like we had to be watched at all times until I was like 16. And then we could finally go out and date on our own. So, um, it's so sweet. <laughs> it is. And I am, I'm honestly kind of glad that I met my husband so young in life because like he really has been through everything with me. Like he knows everything about me. Yeah. Like, you know, and especially like going through infertility, I am so glad that I had known somebody so well that I could be because yes. I mean, it's hard. It is hard to go through infertility treatments. And it's just, I don't know. It was great to have him that he knew me so well. He knew everything that I needed, everything I was feeling. Like, it was great. So, um, so yeah. So, basically, though, um, we ended up, though, we got engaged right after high school. We got married when we were 21. And we never used any type of protection. Like, we just never. It was, like, never even on the table because I was never really worried about it because I was told so young, you don't have any reason to worry about it. So I was like, right. okay, that's fine. So we're not going to worry about it. Um, but shortly after we got married, I had found out that I was pregnant, but I did not actually find out that I was pregnant until I was already miscarrying. Oh, um, no. So, and it was like crazy. You know how? It just, it was, it was crazy how it happened because I was like at the time working third shift and I was at the hospital already. And I just like started just like this is so graphic i'm so sorry tmi you might want to plug your ears but i was like gushing blood and i was like this oh, is yeah. not normal at all so then after i got off that morning at like 9 a.m i went down to the er and found out you know that i had been pregnant and i was miscarrying so that was my first one and then i was just like I mean, I was super sad. Like, I don't know. I was kind of numb, but like super sad at the same time. But I was also like, what? Like me? Like I, I was pregnant. Yeah, you were, you were like, processing the fact I, that you got pregnant when they told you not to. And then also the processing the fact that you're losing your baby all at one time. Yeah. Yeah. So it was definitely a lot. And I would say that was probably like, not to like downplay any of my other miscarriages that I've had since that point. But I would say that was really the hardest one just because like I was just going through a lot. Like we had just gotten married. We were like, mm -hmm. you know, when you first get married, you're like broke and like living, we were living in like a three story walk up one bedroom apartment. So, you know, and yeah. it was just, it was a lot. Um, so after that happened, um, we really, I mean, I didn't really, I was very naive to how any of this worked. So like my mom had never given me the talk. My husband's parents never gave him the talk. Like we were just, it was like the blind leading the blind. We had no idea yeah. really what happened other than, you know, like the actual act. That's what happens to make, you know, the end result a baby. So yes. um, I really didn't know any of the science behind it, which now that I like look back, I'm just like, even now today, I'm like a big advocate for like, okay, y'all need to be talking to your kids. Like you need to tell them the logistics. They need to know. Like mm -hmm. all of it. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so after that though, I think it was a few months later, I ended up pregnant again, but since my first miscarriage, I had just been testing like regularly to make sure that I knew if it happened again, I don't know what my thought was like, Oh, if I know it, then I can stop it. Like I can maybe be healthier or make better choices. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting pregnant again, and that time, I think it was in April. So my first miscarriage happened, like, two weeks before Christmas that year, and then I ended up pregnant in April that year, like, the next year, technically. Did, did they tell you, like, okay, for miscarrying, we, re we recommend you waiting so many months before you try to get pregnant again? Like, did they tell you? Is that a um, thing? Not really, but I'm not even going to lie. Like I said, I was so naive. I didn't even have a regular ob that I was seeing. So oh, okay. after my miscarriage, they basically just brought me in to make sure that everything had cleaned out because I had chosen to just do it naturally at home. Because that is one thing that I did look up okay. is that you really don't want to do a DNC. And it's like not even necessary, even though to this day, there are still doctors that will tell you that it's necessary to do that. And it is not. It is 100%. It will actually do more damage to your body if you try. Like if you just don't even try to do it naturally, your body should naturally do it. And I oh, am. man. I am proof of that because my body has done it many times successfully and it's 
I know other people who have chosen to do DNCs or chosen to take the pill to eliminate the pregnancy, um, like when they start oh, yeah. miscarrying, and they have had such a harder time with it than what I do because, like, they're forcing their bodies to do it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a sad thing, but it's a natural thing that your body's uh -huh. supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I didn't so, know that. That's good information. So no, mark that, people, if you're listening. You don't have yeah. to do that. Absolutely, yes. So, um, okay. and like I said, there's still tons of doctors that are like, yeah, let's just schedule you for a DNC. And it's like, no, actually, how about you just let me go home and rest? I don't know. I just really wanted to have peace about it. Like my second one, especially, yeah. I knew that it was going to be a miscarriage because when I went in for my 10-week ultrasound, there was no heartbeat. I knew that it was going to result in that. But I wanted yeah. to go home and just do it on my own and, like, make it as sentimental, I guess, as I could for myself. Yeah. So, like, like, you had time to mourn the loss before right. the actual exiting of your body. Right. And if, yeah. you look in a D if you look up a DNC, it's very scarring, too, because it's not just, like, I mean, it's literally, like, they're cleaning out the insides of what was and it's just i don't know to me it was too much to look up <laughs> so maybe don't look um, it up just trust me um so yeah. i did it naturally the second time and then after that um it just never happened for like years we never got pregnant again and like i said at that point i still didn't really know the science but what i did know is that i was having unprotected sex with my husband for many years and nothing was happening um so it was like 2000, I want to say like 14 or 15, we moved out to Arizona for his job. And okay. I was really getting an itching because like at that point, we were almost like five years into our marriage. And I was just mm -hmm. like, I just really, no, it wasn't five years. It was maybe like three or four, but it seemed like a long time. Like we had, yeah. I'm just like, we have been together forever. And like, I, my, I always just want to be a stay at home mom and like, you know, do the things. And so I was like, we need to just maybe find help. So that's when I really like started doing a lot of research about like PCOS, what causes it, what can help it. And, you know, what are my options as far as starting my own family? And that is where I found like, I'm back. Okay. Like now I would not like recommend just like go to Google and read reviews. But back then I went to Google and I read reviews and I stumbled upon this new um, fertility company or fertility, I guess, specialist. He was like, he was an MD, but he was just stepping out on his own to start this practice called One Direction Fertility in Gilbert, Arizona. And um, his reviews were like glowing. And the other thing is, is he and his wife had also gone through fertility treatments themselves like three years prior. So I was yes. just like, I was just like, okay, so this doctor has like a glowing reputation and he has actually been through it. So he knows how difficult this is. So and he I, knows exactly what you're feeling, what you're going through. So yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. And not just like from my perspective as the female, but also like from my husband's perspective, like yeah. he knows, he kind of gets it. So I was like, okay, going to schedule an appointment. And usually like for fertility specialists, you don't just like call them up and be like, hey, yo, can I schedule an appointment? Cause I can't yeah. have a baby. <laughs> right. Right. Usually you have to like go to your ob and like, you know, you have to see them for a year and yeah. If then you're still not, you know, successful, then they'll refer you. Well, because I was from out of state and I kind of explained like, you know, we've been having unprotected for two years and I'm still not, you know, having any luck. Can we make an appointment? And they went ahead and scheduled it. So it That's was amazing. Great. He is to this day, one of my favorite doctors. If I ever wanted to do fertility treatments again, I would 110% go back to him because him and his staff were just so amazing. Like my first appointment I really thought I was going to walk in there and he was going to just going to tell me like, oh, well, you need to lose weight. Like that is like the go-to thing because I am a bigger woman. I mean, that is just like the go-to thing for fertility doctors or any doctor really like you got to lose weight. That's the number one thing that you have to do. If you lose weight, it'll cure everything that you have. But he actually like took the time to like look at my chart, look at my labs, looked internally at what I had going on and was like, okay, let's make a game plan. And like, yeah. I really felt heard for like the first time ever. And so, um, the first step obviously was for him, like I said, to do the blood work. And then I did an internal sonogram where, you know, they stick the little probe up there and they look at, you know, your ovaries, your cervix, they measure everything. And they basically, are you, tell you, are you awake during that? Is that like a, oh no, you're awake. You're awake during it. 
And they go clear up into your uterus and your ovaries. I mean, like they can see it. Yeah. And you can see it too. I was laying on the table and they had like this big TV sitting in front of me and he would just like the tech that was in there would measure it. Um, and then she would just like, you know, take a little picture of it. You could like, so I could, I could watch what they were doing as they were doing it. Um, so that's, that's one part of it. And then they did my blood to get like my hormone levels. And then my husband had to give a sample, which was really awkward for my husband. So like, don't discredit that the men feel like really great about this whole infertility thing either, because like going into a room, into a doctor's office and creating a sample, we'll say it as nice as we can, um, is very awkward. Yeah. (laughs) So, so he had to give a sample and they tested that. And of course, like he was fine. Like we knew the problem was, I hate to say it. We knew the problem was me and my body. Um, so after that, he was just like, okay, then we regrouped and he's like, this is what we're going to do. Here's your options. So like, we want to start you at like the basic and kind of work up, you know, from there. So the first thing that we started was like an oral medication and it was called Clomid. And I'm sure any other people that are listening that have infertility, that's like the number one thing that you will take first because it will stimulate your follicles to grow and your follicles that are attached to your ovaries. That's what holds your eggs. Okay. Excuse me. Um, so So like I said, um, this gets like really scientific. Like I really actually learned like how my body's working now. So he's like, so the Clomid you will be on for like, I think it was five days now. Like that might be wrong because this was years ago, but he's like, so you'll take this for five days. And then after that, you'll come in and we'll do another internal sonogram where they look at your ovaries and the follicles. They measure the follicles. Um, So we decided to go with an IUI. So that is why they were measuring the follicles, which is an IUI is where it's like they will give you the medicine to grow your follicles. And they want to see a minimum of a 14 millimeter to a 22 um, size follicle. That's how you know that the egg inside is mature enough to go ahead And, you know, for them to go ahead and then, like, use the catheter to put your husband's semen into you. Um, Okay. But so, like, after you take your Clomid for so many days, you're going in to have your follicles checked. So, say, like, you go in, you know, three days after you take the beds and your follicles are still at only, like, a 14 or a 15. They're going to go ahead and be like, well, just go ahead and come back tomorrow or the day after. And we'll check again to see if they're bigger. Because ideally, my doctor would not feel comfortable doing an IUI without at least an 18. And they really wanted to see a 20. So there was a lot of months where, like, multiple times I was going in for these internal sonograms. And then after, your, after my follicles would finally get mature enough, then they would send me home to do what is called a trigger shot, which would make you ovulate within 12 hours. I think it is 12 or 24 hours after, like, injecting the shot into yourself. And then once they would tell you to do the trigger shot, they would already schedule you for an appointment to come get inseminated, like, you know, to try to, you know, make a baby essentially. So So they didn't, they didn't do, I know some people like they go in and get the trigger shot and then they go home and have sex with their husband to make a baby. And your case, you needed to be inseminated because you weren't dropping your egg. Um, I think it was just, it was a preference at that point. And honestly, like if your insurance oh. is going to pay for them to do it, which at the time I had really good insurance, like I had really good blue cross blue shield insurance. So like okay. each round for me, I think out of pocket without the meds, just the round at the doctor's office would end up cost me like $300, which is super, super cheap. Um, wow. so, and I mean, like the meds would cost me a lot more because like getting meds delivered to your house, like, you know, that are on ice, like the trigger shot has to be like refrigerated. So it's getting like shipped from a same day pharmacy that's like far away from your house. So that is expensive. But so my insurance was really good. So we just were like, you know what, we, we have already waited so many years at this point. Let's just do what we can to be more aggressive. Got it. So my first IUI though, and oh my gosh, I still laugh about this to this day because now that I have had my own baby to take care of, like I haven't had my own, but I did, you know, receive a foster child that was like right from the hospital. Um, now that I know how hard it is, um, my first IUI went in and they're like, well, you know, you have like a 20 and like a 22 and there's a good possibility the egg inside could split into two each, which would result in a pregnancy of like four. 
And so Lush. at the time, I was like, at the time, I was like, yeah, like, let's just get it all done right now. Like four kids, bam, done. One pregnancy. <laughs> That's what my thought was. And now that I think back, I'm like, I would have died. Like, no way could I could I have had four infants. That was God's way of telling you that was not your path, you know? I am so thankful. I was just actually talking about this tonight. I am so thankful that God did not allow that to happen. Um, yeah. Because there's just, I would have gone crazy. I yeah. don't know how Well, people... you, you could have, you could have done it if it was happening, you know? Like, you would that, have done it. That is true. That is a thousand percent true. I you would need absolutely all the help in the world, but you could do it. Yeah, that's for sure. I would have needed like my mom and my sisters there, like at all times, like yeah. a rotating clock, like someone come feed them, change them, help me. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, so we went ahead with that one. And that first IUI, I will never forget it because it was the worst one. I don't know if it was just that my hormones were trying to like regulate on their own with the meds or what the deal was, but I remember being in stirrups. My husband was holding a, they didn't even have like a real barf bag that was big enough for what I was, you know, putting out um, because mm -hmm. I was getting sick while they were inseminating me. Um, so oh, they no. had like this like plastic lined pillowcase and I was just like in stirrups, like head over the table. My husband's holding this pillowcase for me to get sick into. It was oh. the worst experience ever. I was like, that was just the worst. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> so sound very fun. So all. I was just like, this is not fun at all. And I was like, if I'm not pregnant after this, I'm never doing it again, which was a complete lie, by the way, because then I tried for like years more to come. But <laughs> yeah, but um, so that was horrible. Um, but then you have the worst part of an IUI is the two week wait. And I'm sure that you have heard yeah. about this. It's just you have to wait two weeks before you know if you're pregnant yeah. or not. So you go home and you're just like trying to make sure that like you're resting enough, you're drinking enough water. I remember I was eating so much spinach and pineapple because I had read somewhere like that it's really good for development. It was crazy. And I was just like doing all the things trying to like make it happen. But then like you get on day 10, you start getting antsy and you like take a test and it's still like negative and you're just like, but I got two more days. Like I'm still hopeful. But then it like ends up being a complete failure. And you just, I mean, you just have so many emotions going through all the different fertility treatments. Yeah. Because, like you start out really hopeful at the beginning of the month and then you get even more hopeful like when you have good sized follicles. And then the day of comes and you're like, okay, that was really good. Like, you know, we got this. And then that two-week wait goes by and you just like are anxious and stressed out because you're just like anything that you do and anything that your body feels, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. Or like, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm definitely not pregnant. So it's just, it's so hard. And I feel like that was like one of the hardest things that I went through because back, I mean, this was not even that long ago. I feel like this was what, seven years ago or something. And it still just wasn't talked about. Like I did not know anybody personally that had gone through it. And yeah. so I just felt like so alone because I'm just like, oh. well, even though my husband is like technically by my side and like knows all the things that I'm going through, he's not feeling it. Like he's not feeling how sick that I'm feeling or the hot flashes or just, yeah. or, you know, the fact of the end of the day, you know, at the end of the day, I think when we first started fertility treatments, I just kept telling myself like, it is my fault. If, if I don't get yeah. pregnant, like, like it's my fault that my, my husband won't be a dad again. So it oh, is, just, it is like, so. Hard. it's hard. Well, and when all the science, like all this stuff you're doing and all the science that this doctor's doing to you, it's like, it makes sense that it would work. Like, you know what I mean? Like all these it's, this is scientifically proven that this should work. And then it doesn't. And that's like, I mean, I haven't been through that, but I've had moments where it's like, okay, I could be pregnant, but I can't test for two weeks because, well, you don't, you can't, you're not going to be pregnant in a, in the <laughs> next day. So that, that I, two week wait, I get that where you're like, you're like, I either got to start my period or like, you know, actually we were talking, you probably heard me talking about it in the, I watched the other day, how my hormones were just freaking crazy. Um, if you were, I don't know if you were there or not, but I think I heard is, a little bit, yeah. that wait is that waiting is just the worst thing in the world and yeah i mean and then i could only imagine on top of feeling like you are the problem that you can't give your husband a child oh that breaks my heart hearing you even say that like i know i know and it breaks like 
And it took me, I mean, like, this is like 2023 Heidi who has kids now. So, like, it doesn't hurt me to say it. But back then, I probably couldn't say that out loud without, like, breaking down and, like, having a whole emotional breakdown for real. Because it's just, you know, I wouldn't have even, even then if you would have told me what I know now, everything that I know now, it still was hard to process. It still would have been hard to process that, you know, like, you won't have one naturally probably. So it was hard. Um, And then we just, we had gone through, how many did we go through with him? I think we did three IUIs over the course of like a year with him, with that doctor. Um, And then we moved back to Illinois actually to be closer with family because I'm going to be quite honest. We moved back to Illinois because I was in probably the worst state of depression that I had ever been in. Like my life just was not, and I mean, I think a lot of it just loomed around the infertility. Actually, I know it did um, because like the rest of my life was very like pretty peaceful. Like, you know, my husband and I were, we had a good solid marriage. I knew that I was loved, um, but Mm -hmm. it was just, it came down to like, as a kid, I don't know if it was necessarily like my the beliefs that were instilled to me, but like I knew that I was supposed to be a mom and it just wasn't happening. And I think that it really like every time that I would fail a cycle, I would just be like more and more defeated. And on top of that, like the emotions every month is just like on a roller coaster. Like you're so like, you know, you fail a cycle. Okay. Well then you go back to the doctor and you start all over again where you get really hopeful. He switches the meds a little bit and you're like, yes, this is going to work because the science says it's going to work. And then it doesn't work again. And then you go way back down again. Then you're depressed again. And you know, it's just yeah. like, it's just literally just like riding the waves. You of- almost have like bipolar feelings where you have this <laughs> manic of you're excited and you are hopeful. And then it's just the lowest of lows when you don't like that's nuts. Mm-hmm. That's hard. Yeah, it is. And then I think that was also the time that like there were so many of my friends that were like getting married and announcing that they were having babies and it would just be like yeah. so frustrating to get on social media and not and like I am just not a very like negative person. I really try to be truly happy and loving towards pretty much anybody, but that was just not me at that time because if if you were to like come up and tell me that you were pregnant, I would probably just bust out into tears and be like I hate you. Like that's oh. just that's like yeah. where I was. It was just, it was so hard, especially people my age that I went to school with or that like I knew as a kid, they were my age, just like, you know, doing all the things that I wanted to do. And it's just like, I hate that. I hate that I don't get to experience that. And I know that it's like, at the time I would be like, it's my fault. But realistically, it's like, I really don't have control over my actual, like, you know, hormone levels or anything to do with that. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I mean, I know now, like, it wasn't my fault necessarily. But that's in that time, I just really felt like, okay, it's 100% my fault. And I just would be very bitter. And I think it was so after we stopped um, doing fertility treatments in Arizona, we like came back home and I started going to therapy, like talk therapy, which by the way, I 10 out of 10 recommend to anybody for any reason ever, because it helps. Like it doesn't even matter if you don't have that much going on in your life. If you're a parent or you're just going through a lot, go seek therapy because you need it. <laughs> it will Free change. Your life. Amen. It, will, it will like change your life. Um, so I got into therapy and I was like around my family and like the whole kid thing just, you know, I was like, okay, we got to find a different purpose. Like I just have to find my purpose. Like this was apparently not my purpose at that time. So I just like got a job and my husband and I were doing good. And then I don't even know what it was. I was working really closely with a coworker for a long time and she's actually like one of my best friends now. Um, and I don't even know what got started, but Um, she was talking about, you know, having kids and all those things. And she had like five children or she has five children. She also has foster children though. But, um, so her having kids and then just like, I don't know, just the ladies that I worked with, they were very encouraging about just trying again and like having a better outlook on it. So I started like doing some research and I found a fertility doctor in Champaign that wasn't too far from me that had pretty good reviews and on top of that she was a woman so I thought that maybe I don't know maybe she would be kinder or like more on top of it because she knows that I don't really want to go through this 
And she as a doctor was amazing, but she was one of those doctors after like three IUIs that was like, okay, let's evaluate the weight. (laughs) Like, you know, it's the weight. Like you have to be like, and hers wasn't necessarily the weight. She just wanted to see a certain BMI to increase, Mm -hmm. to increase, you know, the fact that we could get pregnant easier. Um, And I totally get And so I was like on board and I was like gung ho. She was like, okay, you have to like lose 36 pounds. And I did it in like two months. I mean, like I was at the gym twice a day. I was like not eating anything over like 1200 calories a day. Like I was just very like, okay, I'm going to do this. Like I want to do, I want this. And I remember, and it will always stick with me. There was one time at like a birthday party, we had a cake or something. And my mom's like, is that piece of cake worth not having a child? And I was like, you're totally right. Like, I mean, like everybody, oh everyone around me though was like so encouraging and I felt like super good. And so after I had lost all that weight, um, I actually, I think in total lost like 50 some pounds. Um, wow. After I lost all that and we had gone back, we had done, I think two more IUIs with her and they still were not successful. And she's like, yeah. okay. She's like, hear me out. She's like, what about getting weight loss surgery? Because the thing about PCOS is most people that are PCOS, I think this statistic on it is like 90% of people with PCOS are what is called insulin resistant. So like basically any carb that you eat breaks down to sugar and obviously sugar and insulin, you know, it's not, it's not a good mixture. So, um, so then they wanted to try something on me called like metformin, which is actually a diabetic med, which if you ever go to a fertility doctor or an OB-GYN that diagnoses you with PCOS and then tries to give you metformin, run. Because they are so old school, it's not even funny. They need to, <laughs> they need to like go back to school because that is not a solution. Um, when you yeah. Are- when you are not diabetic and you take metformin, what happens basically is any carb that you put into your mouth will come out of your body like projectile speed. <laughs> So, um, for months it was very unpleasant going to work. I was very afraid to like eat anything. Like even a banana would just make me miserable, like stomach cramps, all the things. So she had me on that for a while. And then after that, it sound healthy at all. That sounds (laughs) really stupid. I mean, it does, but I mean, in the, I guess where the insulin resistance is concerned, it did make those levels better. But as far as everything else, it was not managing it. Like my body was not handling it well. And that's um, not that's not solving the problem, right. your insulin problem. That's right. just again, we're slapping band-aids on things. Okay. Right. Don't and get me on that soapbox. <laughs> Go ahead. No, for real. Like I feel like that's all it is with PCOS. You just slap a band-aid on the symptom and we'll see how it goes. So yeah. I did lose more weight doing the metformin because I was afraid I'm to sure. eat. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> so um, I did lose more weight, but even then, still, even though my BMI at that time was where she wanted it, um, she was like, "To do IVF, this is where your BMI needs to be." I had finally hit that goal, but I was just like, "I just don't know if I'm sold on IVF." Like it just seems very invasive. Like that is yeah. where they literally like you know, take something for my husband, they go in and actually they will make my follicles and eggs grow and then they retrieve it via surgery. And then they mix the two in a Petri dish and make an embryo and then they implant the embryo. Um, so that was a lot. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm still kind of young. I'm not sure I'm ready for that option. And she's like, but if you want to have even better odds, like either getting pregnant on your own or even with IVF, she's like, you should get weight loss surgery. That's where that came in. And so she had Hold on time out. Time out. Mo, I feel like me on the outside of not knowing much about infertility, I guess I didn't realize the that the difference. Like I didn't realize I figured when you if you have a baby and you want to do infertility treatment, my mind goes straight to the petri dish. Like <laughs> no, no, literally. Like I didn't even know that there were options before that. And so I'm so glad yeah. that I know more now and that um, hopefully other people will learn more now because it's like I'm not doing that right like it's like oh there's gotta be something else to do so it's good uh-huh. to know that there's like options before it gets to that point um of having to do that yeah but because anyway, IUI honestly like IUI is way cheaper anyways um yeah. once you get to like IVF I think I was quoted like 20 grand or something per cycle wow I think Holy it was, cow. I think it was 22 grand per cycle. I don't even remember. It, like I said, it was years ago. That could be wrong, but I am almost certain that's what it was. But like I said, your insurance will, some insurances will cover it. And ours was one of them. 
But before we did that, she wanted us to have even higher odds, meaning she wanted my BMI to be even lower. Um, yes. So she wanted me to get referred for weight loss surgery. And she's like, well, you're already doing the talk therapy, which is a requirement, by the way, of weight loss surgery. Didn't know that until then. And you've also already dropped a certain percentage of your weight from the time that you have been seen in this long. So she's like, they'll basically just go ahead and set your surgery up if you go see them. And I'm like, okay, why not? Like, you know, honestly, at that point, I was like, either I'm going to have a kid or I'm going to like die trying. Isn't that crazy? Like that I look back now and I'm just like, why, why was my mind like that? Like if I didn't have a baby, I couldn't be happy. Like that's so crazy to me now. But then I was just like, I will do anything. Like, and I was, Mm -hmm. I was like doing anything that I could. Um, Even not not eating that slice of cake, which (laughs) by the way, (laughs) you could have had anyway. I still use that analogy to this day, but anyways, um, so I got the referral for the surgeon and they were like, okay, we'll set your, you know, we'll set your, um, what is it called? Like your, I guess, initial appointment with the surgeon and they're going to go over all your different things and like the requirements if you have any left. Um, but before you come, we're going to send you, um, four links and it's basically like YouTube videos of the different surgery options that you have because, also something that you may not know is there is four different types of weight loss surgeries that you can get. There's like a full bypass, which is where they really do a lot of work to you. Or there's like a quarter bypass. There's like a sleeve. There's a band. Like you name it, they yeah. found it. So yeah. I watch all of these four options like the night before I'm going to go do this. I watch all four options and I kid you not, I was like just in shock. I'm like, hold on. This is a lot. Like they're going to yeah cut that out of me and like solder and like what 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 hold on like I feel like I'll never be the same person again and so I was like okay that's a lot of information so I was like I'll just take the night and I'll just think about it and like I got halfway because my appointment was in Champagne. I got to Mattoon the next day the day of my appointment and I kid you not I pulled into Walmart I called them and I said I'm canceling my appointment for today I don't think I'm ready for that <laughs> Yeah, because I'm just like, I'm literally going to forever change the structures of my body by doing this. And I mean, there are some like the band and things like that that aren't as invasive, but it's still like you are still mutilating your body in a certain way that you will never be able to undo it if I do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you could severely hurt yourself if you can't stick with certain things. And then the amount of people that have weight loss surgery and become anemic or um, just have, Mm -hmm. they're at high risk. I mean, anemia is the number one thing because like the first six months after you have weight loss surgery of any kind, you are almost on a liquid slash soft diet and you are on a ton of vitamins just to get enough vitamins into you so that you're not anemic. Um, And it's a huge risk factor. And I mean, like death is a big factor as well not on the table either. It's after the fact, because if Mm -hmm. you don't stick to the diet or if you're not getting enough of your nutrients and things (laughs) like, you know, death is a big risk factor. And so I just, I could not, I was like, I am not at this point yet. I think that I am this desperate that I need to just go mutilate my body in order to just have the possibility of having a child. I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel settled. I didn't feel like, God was leading Each, me to everybody that has path. their own everybody has that choice and if that's what you choose to do I'm ho- happy you made that choice uh-huh. for your body mm-hmm. and I'm happy that that is what you did and if you didn't want to do it great happy you didn't have to do that either you know like it, right it's, it's up to you and how you feel about it so absolutely so you called and canceled your appointment so what happened then So then they're like, okay. And then once my fertility doctor, I went back to her and I told her that I wasn't doing that. She basically told me in nicer terms, but I don't remember exactly because I still am flabbergasted. She basically told me she's not seeing me as a patient anymore. What? Until I am at that certain BMI. Okay. So I didn't know exactly how to feel. I mean, more, I was just outraged that day like I remember walking to my car and I'm like I'm literally at that point I had already lost like 50 some almost 60 pounds for this lady yeah and because I chose that I didn't want to go have weight loss surgery she's basically taught me I'm done with you I'm just like that like she doesn't even I just felt like so much more yeah you had time you had you had more time to lose even more weight you didn't have you know like you had 
time you're young i don't i don't understand that like why was that what she jumped to like you had you you already shown that you could drop 50 pounds so like yeah. what what is keeping you from dropping more even if it takes you a little bit longer so yeah. why give you up as a patient that's that's so dumb oh yeah. that's ear that's in, that's infuriating anyway so she didn't going. Want to do, she didn't want to do iuis anymore because we had had too many unsuccessful okay. yeah okay so then um yeah, and I had had so many tests through that same doctor. She had ordered so many things um, for me that had all come out with positive impacts, like, in, you know, outcomes. Like, all my testing yeah. was saying that it was good. I think she was just frustrated that she couldn't get anything to work, and she just had to boil it down, too. So I feel like she just come to the conclusion that, okay, it's because you're fat. Like, that's, that's like, the only thing that even to this day I can make sense. She's like, okay, this girl's tests are good. She's lost all this weight. Like, every there's, like, you know, no logical scientific reason, I think, in her head that she could be like, okay, well, I guess it's just because you're too fat. And I'm just like, at that point, I wasn't even that fat. I mean, I'm just like, if you're yeah. telling me that I'm technically qualified for IVF, my BMI is not even that bad at that point. But the fact that she wanted it even lower... So that was bad. Um, that really obviously brought me down even more because I'm like, okay, cool. Like my body just absolutely hates me. That's the problem yeah. here. So, Ugh. but I don't think at that point, I think at that point though, I had really just, I was just like, I'm not going to be negative about this. I'm not going to like hate myself for it. I'm not going to be upset for other people that are like, like, I just, I do not want to be a spiteful, bitter person. It doesn't make you any better to be bitter. Right. Like, really, really. It's just harming myself being bitter. So I was just like, okay, we're just going to move forward. So, that's not therapy. That's not therapy talking. <laughs> that's not right. That's right. If it wouldn't have been for my therapist, who was, by the way, younger than me. She was only like 20 years old. But she was awesome. Um, so if it yeah. wouldn't have been for her, um, but then after that, I did decide just to take a break and like my husband and I were just going to like, you know, take a few months and kind of figure out what we we're going to do. And so we took a few months and then like after Christmas, I just decided one day I was like, you know what? I think I'm just ready to try again. Like I'm ready to see what my options are. And I was like, I remember that the fertility doctor in Arizona told me that if a fertility doctor tells you that it's only because of your weight that you're not getting pregnant, they're not the right fertility doctor for you because he's like, there's just no science to support it. And so I just kind of like remembered that. I'm like, okay, so I need to find a new fertility doctor that's not in Arizona because obviously I can't, you know, fly there five times, you know, a month. That's, right. not, that's unrealistic. So like, I need to find somebody who doesn't, you know, discriminate against weight. And, um, so I just randomly started, like, I would message people that I knew that had been through fertility treatments at that time and was like, you know, do you have any recommendations? And I stumbled upon one that, um, he was at the women's Boston IVF at the women's hospital in Evansville, Indiana, which is still a three hour drive from here, yeah. but like it was doable. So I called them and, well, I had called a few others and I just like point blank, uh, do you guys discriminate against weight? What is your BMI requirements? And they will tell you like face value. So if they would tell me something I didn't want to hear, I'd be like, okay, click by, like not working yeah. with you. Like if you really can't make the science work, then I guess I'm going to go on. So I found this doctor and um, I like asked them and they were like, no, they're like, our doctor here is just amazing. Like regardless of what you have going on, he is going to like make you a treatment plan. And if, you know, losing a little bit of weight is involved in that, you know, he is going to make sure that you get a dietitian that, you know, you get the support that you need to accomplish these goals. So I was like, Oh my gosh. Exactly what that other lady should have done. Right. Anyway. Exactly. So I, Continue. Was like, so I was like, this sounds great. So, okay, I will schedule my appointment. So we scheduled my appointment. My husband and I went there, we met the doctor. He was amazing. He was very, like, to the point. Like, he is not much of a talker, but he has the statistics to tell you. He told me, basically, just looking at my chart between my age, my husband's age, what my husband's sample looked like, what my blood work looked like, what our chances were. Like, he gave me a percentage that day of what it would look like if we conceived wow. naturally, like, what the percent if we conceived naturally, what it would be if we did IUI, what, what it would be if we did IVF. Like to the side, wow. like to the T. And I'm like, whoa, like this guy knows what he's talking about. So I'm like, okay. So he's like, I remember the um, percentages. Um, I know with IUI, it was 15%. 
That's the wow. one that sticks out to me. So 15%, I understand sounds pretty low, but for someone that's shooting at a 0%, that's pretty good, yeah. right? You're right. You're right. Yeah. So, so I was like, okay, you know, like honestly, and we had heard the kind of the same thing from both other doctors that we had seen. Um, so we're like, you know, let's go ahead. Let's try again. And not only that, but he also, um, had suggested two other like, um, oral medications to stimulate the follicles to grow. Mm -hmm. Um, and he just seemed to be just more aggressive. Like, he's like, you know, if your insurance will pay for these meds or help pay for these meds, we're going to try it. Like, there's no reason not to. He's like, we just need to yeah. be aggressive. Because, I mean, like, we, at that point, you know, we're 25 or 24, almost 25. And, like, we had been married for quite a while. So, no, we were definitely 25, maybe even 26. My timeline is horrible. It's not like I, like, okay. wrote, it's not like I wrote all this down and kept track. Um, right. so, That's okay. So, um. Our first appointment with him was amazing. And then, like, he scheduled my internal sonogram, like, the next week and measured everything again, got all my blood work and was like, this is what we're doing. This is the med you're going to take for this long. You know, this is what you need to avoid, which he was the first doctor that actually told me to avoid certain foods and things. Um, yeah, oh, like, he's yeah. just like... He's just yeah. like, you need to act like you're pregnant and not like be drinking caffeine. Like, you know, just do all the things that you would do if you were pregnant. So I'm like, right. okay, that's what we're going to do then. So we are very hopeful. Um, unfortunately, we had three failed IUIs with him. And our last IUI was April of 2019. And that was basically the hardest one because I remember the beginning of that month, I told my husband that, like, the medications he had me on were very strong. And the hot flashes and the nausea that it was causing me, I mean, it was literally, like, interrupting my, my work day. And at the time, yeah. I was, like, I was working full time. I couldn't just be, you know, having my head in the toilet while I was trying to work. And, right. you know, not being able to, I wasn't able to sleep at night. At that point, it was, like, giving me, I don't know how, but I had, like, developed carpal tunnel in my both my hands. So like sleeping at night became very uncomfortable and it was because of the fertility meds that I was on. Um, wow. He had me on two oral fertility meds and then he would, you know, have me trigger, of course, um, when mm -hmm. it came time. But those two oral fertility meds, oh my Lanta, like they messed me up so bad. Like the hot flashes were no joke. I literally would feel like a burning in my feet all up to my head and was like, yeah. oh boy, like I'm dying. <laughs> like, yeah. So... It was very Ugh. aggressive. So that April, I remember telling my husband, like, this has got to be the month. And I said, if it's not the month, I, like, I think we need to decide right now when is the cutoff. So we decided if it didn't happen that month, we were just going to close the door on infertility treatments and be done. Because, like, even though I was in a decent place mentally, I was still having to take antidepressants. I was still needing talk mm -hmm. therapy every week. Um, yeah. just to function like an adult, like, you know, like just yeah. to be able to go to work and do all the things that an adult needs to do. Because if I didn't do those things, if I wasn't taking my depression meds, if I wasn't getting my talk therapy, I was just like a nightmare. Like I was grouchy yeah. and just down about everything. So I would be too, dude. <laughs> right. Exactly. I would be too. So, um, April of 2019 was like my last, um, IUI and when I did my, um, what do you call it? When I did my 14-day at-home test, it had come back very light but positive. So I went ahead and I went and got my blood work done and they sent it to my doctor. And then they had me come in like two days later. They really couldn't give me a definite because like, I don't know if the levels were weird. I still to this day am very confused. But basically, I was not pregnant indeed. And so it was it was sad. It was a very long drive back to Illinois that day. Um, and it was yeah, very awkward. You're going, like I saw, I saw a light, a light yeah. line and then, oh man. Yeah. And like, even my hormone levels were like just right there. I don't know. Like I said, it's still kind of, I think it was just like right on the brink. I don't know. They still think that maybe the trigger had something to do with it because like I said, they were upping my meds. And yeah. the trigger shot can give you a false positive at times. Um, so that's just yeah. kind of what it's chalked up to at this point. Um, so 
basically though, um, that day in particular, when I went in, we really expected that he was just going to tell us that we were indeed pregnant. And so my husband did not take off of work. And instead my mother-in-law and I drove over there to (laughs) have my internal sonogram. And it was very awkward because like, then I had to be like, well, actually I'm not pregnant. And you know, now that we've decided that we're not trying anymore, this is it. Like this is the end of this road. And so I basically just like sobbed quietly to myself the whole three hour ride home. And it was just, it was the worst. It was oh, probably that sounds like the worst. It was probably like my lowest point, I would say, as far as this whole journey. So then though, yeah. I got very angry. I like everything in life. Um, I'm just gonna be real and raw. Like I got very angry at God. I got very angry at like everyone that was like, oh, it's gonna happen. Like if you just relax. Oh my gosh, if I had to hear that again one more time. People yeah. that say people that tell people that are going through infertility if they just relax, or my favorite one, if you just stop trying. <laughs> no, like that is not sound advice at all. Uh, No, because we haven't been trying for years before we started this. So if that tells you anything. Right. So words to the wise, do not say that to people that are even trying to conceive and having a hard time. It's not nice. It will hurt their feelings. Um, So I just got very angry. And I mean, I remember at one point just being so angry at God. Like, you know, like my husband and I had only been with each other ever. And even to to this day, that is true. And I mean, that was a big thing for me is like, you know, I had told God when I was young, like that I only wanted to be with my husband. And I was like, you know, I did all the right or what I consider the right things when I was growing up to, I I just, I guess in my mind, I was feeling like God was punishing me for something, but I like, couldn't figure out what I'm just like, what did I do? Like, what did my husband and I ever do to deserve this? Like, you know, we were not the partying type. Matter of fact, like, we really kept to ourselves in high school. And we just didn't do anything, really. I'm just like, you know, like, I just, I was trying in my head to figure out what did I do. You did your best to walk Mm -hmm. in his ways. And you were following him and believing in him. And then, yeah. Yeah. So, I really, really struggled my faith then. And I mean, like, it was probably for a year. I think even, like, a year later... I was like completely denying that I even knew if there was a God. Like I that's how low I had gotten was just yeah. I just didn't know. And I mean now that I look back I'm like, "Oh boy. That was not that was not a God thing because um let's fast forward. So that was in April, so May, June, July, August, September, October. So 6 months later, I get this random voicemail on my phone from some caseworker over in Charleston, basically telling me that she had gotten my number from someone who knew that my husband and I were good people and that we had maybe thought about fostering. And like at that point, when I say maybe thought about it, that's all it was, was maybe a thought. Like we had not, we had not done anything. Like we had not gotten fingerprinted. We had not gotten a background check. Nothing had been done. I just one time mentioned it to somebody and they're like, oh, bam, I'm going to just go ahead and give your number to this caseworker. And so, and they didn't even tell me, they didn't tell me they did that. So I get this random phone call or this random voicemail one day from a caseworker over in Charleston. And she's like, well, we have these two boys that, you know, like they're really in need of a home. And I was just like, oh, this is craziness. Like, I remember getting that phone call though. And I was like, so giddy. Like the minute that I heard like her voice and all the information she gave me, I don't even know why, but I had like this instant peace. Like those are going to be my children. Isn't that crazy? Like, that sounds crazy crazy. now. I never admitted that probably to anybody out loud that after that phone call, I knew that those kids were going to be mine, which they are now, by the way. So, yay. Um, Yay. But um, you're not a creep anymore for saying it because it it came true. (laughs) Like, like now that I think back, like those were literally someone else's children that I was thinking that about. How crazy. So, no, um, it's okay, though. It's okay. It doesn't sound crazy to me, honestly. I'm not going to lie. It sounds like. Sounds like a like God put that thought in your head. Oh, he a thousand percent. So that did. you would adopt, or I don't want to let your story tell it, <laughs> spoil the story, but he would he would open that door so those kids would have you as a mom. Oh, yeah, I'm chills. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So this random lady who I've never met, who has never met me, by the way, is now offering me these children. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, is insane. Like that. Okay. And I would also like to just let everyone know this is not normal. 
the foster care system does not just call random strangers be like take this child that's not the norm this is literally so so off par from whatever happens from whatever and i mean now that i have been a foster parent not to like let my story kind of elaborate um now that i am a foster parent you never get children like this so the fact of the matter is is because i really to this day i will just be honest like I was going against God's will. He knew the whole story from the get-go. I was not doing what he wanted, and but he was like, it's still going to happen, though. Like, so here's this phone call. Here's this voicemail that you get to listen to yeah. now. And I just knew that I had to call her back. And when I called her back, she was, like, telling me more about them. And I'm like, OMG, I cannot wait to call my husband. <laughs> that was, like, my first thing. Like, I cannot wait to tell him that we yeah. – that I essentially just – said yes to bringing two children home with us <laughs> that we don't know right oh my gosh my husband would flip the lid oh well now my husband's used to it like sometimes my husband goes to right. work we have like three kids and then when he comes home we have like six that happened one time which i'll tell you about later but <laughs> so like my husband is used to my quirkiness and like the fact that i'm just yeah. a yeah let's do it but um it was just so bizarre how this happened but before we could officially have those boys come to us, I ha- we had to like meet them a few times in order for the state to actually let them live with us, if that makes sense. Obviously, you cannot just let people go to strangers' house and be like, okay. So, yeah, that's yeah. kind of just where our journey went. And from there, like, it turned into a whole fostering thing. And yeah, that's that pretty much brings us up to date. I mean, like, there's so much more that we'll talk about my fostering journey. I know on the next podcast that I do with you, and I cannot wait to tell you all about it because, oh my gosh, so many God moments in my foster care journey. So many. I'm really excited to hear that because I've always been interested in fostering and adopting. Like, I mean, my major screams it. I mean, I'm not in a place any like anytime soon obviously but like it's always been like oh that i think since i was a little girl i feel like or like at least in high school i was like you know what i'm gonna foster some kid one day and because they need help you know i feel like that was kind of my thought but um anyway it is a god thing because imagine like okay but exactly what i just said like i have ellie i had ellie surprise um and my (laughs) ellie happened ellie was given to me by god to pull me back to him and i know that for a fact um, it wasn't like I was off getting drunk and shooting up heroin or anything. I wasn't like being, I wasn't like crazy, but I was not walking in the way, his ways, the way I know he, and, and he wants his children to walk. And so mm-hmm. I know God used Ellie to bring me back to him because I've never been stronger in my faith than I am right now. That's amazing. Um, but the thing with you is that these boys needed a place to be. And imagine if like, I got a call. I'd be like, I can't take that on right now. I have my own baby that I'm struggling with this, that, and this, that. And you know, like what I mean? So like, Mm -hmm. and he knew that your heart was going to be so, your heart was just going to be so like ready to take these boys and and love them like your own when they needed you. Oh my gosh. And it was so crazy because like, um, Yeah, it's just, it's crazy how it all came together because even before, I totally forgot to mention, before we even got that phone call, we had had a bunk bed for like my baby sister because she's like 16 years younger than me. We had her a bunk bed at our house, but the room was not necessarily like decorated for a girl. The bedding and stuff on both beds was like blue and green, like decorated for boys. And that was set up, I bet you like a year and a half before I ever got that phone call. So... It's just crazy how God works. God's just amazing. And like, I could probably not tell you my infertility journey without like bawling my eyes out if I don't have the life that I have now, if I don't have like the blessings that God gave me. So I will say, even though there was a point after my infertility journey, I would just say that my faith was probably not as strong as it should have been during that time that when it didn't go the way that I wanted, you know, I basically was just like, I don't even know if you're real, you know, like doubting my faith really. But there is like today you could probably do anything you wanted to me. And I'd be like, yeah, I still know that God's real. And like, I still love him like a lot because there's just too much in my life that has happened that I know is from him. Yeah. It's amazing. 
Yeah. Well, I'm really I mean, glad that I got to share my story with you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And it's so, because God opens the womb and he closes the womb, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's so hard to get in your head when you are like doing anything to have this baby. And I totally like, I don't understand, but I, I keep hearing these stories and I can, I can, I can empathize with you guys when mm-hmm. you say these things, like, because I, I, I do have Ellie and I could not imagine not having her and having to go through things like this. And so I do think that this infertility is a big struggle in women and that thought in your head that you're broken or that you can't do this one thing quote quote one thing that god made our bodies to do or that if you if you don't believe there's a god that our anatomy should like our anatomy is made up to do this thing like that would be really hard to get over yeah it really it's hard not to think that it's just your fault but i think now where i'm at even to this day i have had recent miscarriages but now where i'm oh, at really yeah, so like even as um I want to say my last one was in oh man, I really need to keep track of these things better. <laughs> but um I think the last big monumental one was back in October. I had lost one that we actually knew about from like week 4 and we had known about for weeks and actually our boys had known about it. Um our close family had known about it. Um that one oh. was kind of hard, but like every time that I lose a child now, I'm not actually losing that child. And I have to tell myself that like, it's not a, it's not my fault because there was nothing that I actually did that could be so harmful that it would end it. And B it's just like, you know, my baby, I just like envision my baby opening their eyes and they see Jesus. Like they don't even have to see all the crap that is in this world. Like they literally just go see Jesus. Like, okay, they're in a better place than me is what I feel. And I mean, I know moms that are I don't know I know moms that still struggle with miscarriages and loss there's a lot that will not connect with me on that they're just they're still upset they're still angry and of course you know I will have my day of crying I did I had like a day of crying I cried with my husband I cried with you know when I told my boys yeah but after that initial being sad it's like okay but it's time to move on they're still your child they just don't get to be here with you So I just, I don't know. I just encourage anybody who goes through miscarriage or infertility, just like, don't give up hope. Don't become bitter. Don't become angry because it doesn't help you in the long run. Like just be hopeful because anything can happen. Like you could literally just have kids dropped off to you. Like, honestly, like the possibilities literally did. Yeah. Like the possibilities are endless. (laughs) Yeah. So I just, I just, that's my biggest thing that I, when I talk to people, even my own sister who has had a miscarriage, that is like the number one thing that I just drove home to her is like, you are not a failure. There is nothing that you did or did not do that caused this. It's just that it wasn't, you know, meant to be and you're okay and you're still loved and that baby is still loved. So that's just my biggest thing is just don't lose hope and just try to just enjoy life. Like don't take it so seriously because it's not, it's not a no forever. So yeah, so that's wow. all. You need to write that out. That I don't <laughs> even know exactly what you said, but what you what you said was perfect. Like it's okay. It's not your fault. This baby is still yours. Mm-hmm. Baby just can't be here because you know God has other plans, and yep. so that's really hard to to hear. But mm-hmm. also, I feel like that would be helpful. Yes, it was hear. helpful. It's not when- your fault. God has yeah. other plans. Yeah. Let's and I mean, gonna I'm going to be okay. honest. If you're like new to the infertility and like I said, when I first started this whole journey, had you told me it's not my fault and God has other plans, I probably would have wanted to not say nice things to you, to be honest. Oh, because okay. it, it, is, it is, it is hard to hear that. Like, but yeah. you know, like in your head, your head is like, you're not enough. Your body's broken. It is your fault. You know, like all those things that your head is saying, but my therapist, I think the biggest thing that changed my perspective is my therapist told me, okay, well, if you're going to tell yourself lies, how about we try to debunk them? So for everything that you say, let's debunk it with a factual thing. 
So like by saying my body is broken, she'd be like, okay, well, give me one factual reason that you can fix that. Or give me one factual thing that can like tell yourself, like, did you actually have control over the fact that your body didn't conceive this month? No, you don't. So like, then that's, you know, then you can like basically say, okay, that is a lie that I'm telling myself. I need to replace it with something good. So instead of saying my body is broken, saying this is just not the time or this yeah. is not in God's plan, something along those lines. It just, it really helped me change my perspective so much. Yeah. It's not that it's broken. It's just temporarily not doing that. Mm-hmm. It's doing yeah. everything else to keep you alive. You're breathing, you're walking, you're yeah. running, you're talking, you are, you're there mentally with your family. You know, you're, you know, you can read, you can write, you can sing, you can dance. Like yep. your body's not broken. It's just that part is just not, it's not the time. Yep. That's great. Yep. Yeah. It's amazing. So those are the things that I've learned through my journey. And I really feel so glad that I could tell you this. It's been a long time since I've told anybody like my full from like start to finish infertility story. So I don't oh. think I've, I think I've only told maybe one whole person my whole life, like the whole gist of the story because it's so long. My gosh, I feel so honored. And like, we all got the inside scoop that not everybody knows. Yeah. And I hope I did educate some people because like I said, I was so like out of the loop when it came to any of this actual scientific, like, you know, any of this, like they really need to do better at teaching. Like my parents, like, come on. I hope that they listen to this. I know that they will. I hope my mom knows that she really should have talked to us. (laughs) She knows, though. I have told her. So I just encourage anybody, though, to talk to your teenagers. Like, especially, like, if you're not going to talk to them when they're teenagers, like, when they're getting ready to get married, you need to talk to them. They need to actually know what is happening and, like, what it actually takes to conceive and, like, start a family, all the things. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. That is right. Well, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, and I've learned so much, and so I know our listeners are going to learn so much. I'm so excited to get this posted, because it's been a hot second since I've been able to upload anything, so I'm going to get this uploaded ASAP so that everybody can listen and learn your story, and again, like, thank you for getting open and honest and vulnerable, because it's exactly what we want on navigating motherhood we want the real we want the raw we don't want necessarily sugar-coated we want to hear all the things so i really appreciate you going in depth and letting us all hear it um and yeah that's about it i can't wait to have you back to talk about your fostering and adoption i cannot wait that's just the best part of the story so thanks so much caddy for having me i appreciate it so much of course all right we'll see you guys later bye bye